Folks, back here with uh, former assembly member Bill Evans. How's it going? Good, Jeff. How you doing? Pretty good. Uh, also a lawyer. Yes, I'm sorry about that, but yes. You're, you're uh, employment side, right? Uh, well, I'm management side, labor and employment. Lawyer. So if I so I can't call you because you're you're representing the company. Unless you get employees, no. Okay, not yet. I'm working on that. Okay. So happy to have you on the podcast. You recently wrote a wrote an opinion um, piece for the landmine, which has gotten a ton of traction. We'll talk about that later. Let's uh, first talk about, uh, you were in the Assembly for three years. Yes, three very long years. That was what, 2014? To 2017, yep. And you were a one-term guy by choice. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the terms are three years. I thought that was enough. So you ran, and you had support from a lot of conservatives and Republicans when you ran in South Anchorage, and then maybe halfway through you introduced the Equal, Equal Rights Ordinance. Yeah, after about a year uh, I introduced that. And then all these kind of people that supported you, a lot of them flipped, and it became this huge... Is that kind of why you decided not to run, or was that part no, of it? No, no, not at all. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously people, you know, some people that supported me were upset about that. It wasn't, uh, you know, necessarily in the conservative realm of things, uh, at least as how they saw it. Uh, but there weren't, you know, after the initial, uh, you know, gnashing of teeth and all that... It quieted down. I still had, you know, I think most of the people that supported me before were still supporting me. Um, they might not agree with that particular issue, but uh, it, it, it kind of blew it over, was I thought. Pretty, what you introduced was very reasonable. I thought so. I think it was a compromise deal from different folks. Yeah, the original the original one I introduced was much more of a compromise than the one that got passed. I had it uh, really, truly with the vision of being a compromise between the groups, and it pretty quickly proved to be unworkable because both sides didn't want to compromise mm. to that degree. Uh, so the version that got passed was one that was reworked uh, between uh, Pat Flynn and myself, and uh, it, it was less of a compromise, but still a good ordinance. So going back before that, so you were in the military. You got that picture of, uh, on your Facebook. of Yeah, I, you know, when I was you know, 40 years ago, just out of high school, I was a, a paratrooper for a while. The guy in the background looks um, like somebody I would not want to mess with. Yeah, they uh, they all had some issues. Um, but then you went, you know, you, you became a, you were a cop too, weren't you? Yeah, I was a cop for about six years uh, in the suburb of Cleveland. Um, that was fun. That was the best job I ever had. Wow. Yeah. You arrest a lot of people? Uh, quite a few. It was a pretty busy uh, place to work, and it was, you know, I was in my 20s, and it was just, wow, you know, somebody gave me a gun and set me loose in the city. It was pretty exciting. <laughs> Officer Evans yeah. on the loose. But uh, but even that grew old after a while, but uh, it was a good time. So you became a lawyer, and you've been doing that for a long time. Why uh, why did you decide to get in, in politics and run for assembly? I, I always liked politics. I mean, I've always been in a history. I was a history and political science major in college, kind of interested in that sort of thing. I always kind of wanted to have the experience of running a campaign. Love Anchorage. You know, we moved here by choice. Love the city uh, and thought I could contribute. So why did you guys move to Anchorage? Uh, combination of Dances with Wolves and Northern Exposure and some kind of weird dream when you're sitting in Cleveland that, you know, <laughs> out west is a whole different uh, animal and we, we got to see it. So We have to get out of Cleveland. Basically, yeah. Some places, you know, we can go as far as we can go without leaving the country. And it came out to be Anchorage. That's actually no joke. Why I moved here in '04, I was 19, and I wanted to get as far away from New Mexico as I could at the time. Yeah. And Alaska was as far as, as far away as I could get without leaving the country. And at the time, I really had no ability to do that. 
So my friend and I drove here, and the, the story I tell is we, on the second day, we got to the Canadian border. So we got to Montana. First day we slept, got to the Canadian border the second day. And I go, shit, we're, all, we're almost there. Great. Yeah, you know, this right. is 04. This is before all the Google Maps and the iPhone. Yeah. So I'm thinking, yeah, pretty pretty close, right? So our third like our third full day of driving through Canada, 12-hour 12 day, 12 days of driving, I go, holy shit, this is far. Yeah. And then you get to the border, and it's still a 14-hour drive. It's long. So you, by the time you get here, it's a week of driving, and you're like, Jesus Christ, I am far away from everything. Yeah, I think that drive gives you good perspective exactly where you are instead of flying here all the time. Because I flew here initially, and so it was years before I actually did the drive out. And it really does put it into kind so, of usable perspective how far away Anchorage is. So what year did you move here? Moved here in 98. So you went to law school? Went to law school and then practiced in Cleveland for about six years and then moved up here in 98. Where'd you go to law school? Michigan. So you were a cop and you went to law school after you were a cop? Yeah, I was going through college while I was a cop. I finished college while I was a cop and then uh, couldn't figure out what else to do, applied to law schools and then quit the police and went to law school. What was your biggest case with the police when you were a cop? Uh, biggest? I don't know. I was just a patrolman. Um, Anybody ever try to like fight you? Yeah, people do that. And you know, given that I'm not uh, the most imposing character, it uh, probably was tempting. You know, most most of the people you deal with are drunk. I mean, the reality is, and some guys will get a bit out of control. I mean, people will take a shot at you now and then, um, but uh, it was fun. I was like, I was young enough to. It was exciting. You were married then, or you were single? Uh, I got married during my time on the police. We were married in '86. I got on the department in '84. Oh, that's when I was born, '84. I know. I feel old <laughs> when I talk about this stuff. <laughs> so you went to law school. You went back to Cl- Cleveland, and you were practicing. And then, yep, you were doing that. And then you said, "I'm fucking then, moving to Alaska." Yeah, we had uh, three young kids at the time, like one through five uh, in ages, and. Just decided to do something different and picked up and came up to Alaska sight unseen. And neither of us had ever been here. So no connection, no family. No connection. No, that's no me nothing. too. Same thing. Yeah. What do you think? So I remember when I got here very vividly, I remember driving on the Glen into Anchorage. And my first thought, and this was actually 15 years ago. I think what's today's date? This is 15 years ago to the day I got here. Wow. Yeah, I got well, here 15 years ago. We should have a drink. Is there drinks um, here? What? No, there's this is maybe some beer in the front. I'll look later. All right. But... I was driving to the Glen, and I remember seeing, you know, the ConocoPhillips building in downtown Anchorage, and I remember thinking, like, holy shit, this is like a city. Yeah. Because, you know, you hear about Alaska, you think, you don't even know what to think. Right. And I, uh, we spent a week trying to find a place to stay, and we ended up eventually finding a really good deal on an apartment through a, a sign that was posted on the light pole by Nusagaya downtown. <laughs> Great. But uh, you, you come in, and you're like, oh, shit, this is like a... Pretty, pretty real city. Yeah, it was, for, for us, it was, you know, we were a little concerned about, you know, how much stuff we would miss and it was when we found that there was a borders the borders old bookstore that oh, used to be up here diamond that was our connection because we loved borders from because of when went to school in michigan borders is actually from ann arbor so we just loved that bookstore and once we saw that they had a border here, it was like okay this is civilization nothing to worry about we're gonna we're, be we're fine. fine yeah so you um where'd you guys do you have a place to stay or did you uh, I came up here first because I had a job, uh, and I came up here and found a rental uh, within the first three weeks. Uh, I was staying with somebody at somebody's house for a couple weeks and then found a place to rent on the hillside, and then well, my family came up. What month did you come up here? August. August me, 1st. Me, me too. I was, yeah. That's my sister's birthday. Oh, wow. I, was, I always tell people, if you're going to move to Alaska, do not move here in the summer. Move here in the dead of winter because then you will appreciate the summer more because I got here in August and I remember thinking like, oh shit, this is like sun's up, it's nice weather, it's... and then like you know two months later, three months, Oct- Halloween. In fact, it used to always 
count on snow by Halloween. We had two feet of snow. Oh yeah. On Halloween '04, and then that you know whole long winter. And then you're thinking like, holy shit, I've really. Well, I was amazed because August in Cleveland, anyway, and I think through most of the Midwest, it's hotter than heck. It's humid. It's hot. It gets up to 80s, 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then getting here in August, it was a lot different. It was really matter of fact, I was wearing a jacket in the morning because it felt cool as heck, uh, and it gets rainy and stuff. So yeah, it was a big change. I think coming in August, it's so what, a big what the, difference. The kids were kind of young. They really didn't probably. Oh yeah, they were one, three, and five when they moved. They they don't even really remember. The oldest sort of remembers before we moved up here, but not much. So you had a job um, when you got here? Yeah, I got. A, I went through a headhunter, got a job in, uh, with a law firm. Uh, it was Bogle and Gates uh, at the time, uh, which went out of business about, it was a 100-year-old firm, went out of business eight months after I got here. <laughs> uh, nice, Bill. Good job. Yeah, I don't know I went, I'm, uh, how responsible I am for that, <laughs> but uh, the timing was bad. But then uh, it was taken over by another big law firm, and, and uh, history went on. Who, who got it? Dorsey and Whitney, who, which is still in existence. Yeah, I've, I've heard of that one. Yeah. So... And you had just pract- and but you had gotten involved at some point. Um, you got involved in the Chamber of Commerce, right? Yeah, I got uh, right after I got here. I started getting involved in the Chamber of Commerce, it's just as a way of getting to know people, and especially with businesses. And as a lawyer, you're looking, you know, to make connections all the time. Um, and was on their board for about 13 years, so I got really involved with that organization um, and some others. But uh, yeah, it was Anchorage is great because it's a, a place you can come to as a complete stranger. And mm-hmm. very quickly get integrated into the heart of the community. Look at me. Yeah, yeah, you're a perfect <laughs> example. No. But I mean, how many, you know, growing up in other places, the idea of, you know, having met governors or senators or even mayors is kind of an extraordinary thing. And there's not probably anybody in Anchorage who hasn't met all of those people regularly. Um, it's a very. Yeah, if you, if you want to meet them, you, like, I was in Australia for a year and you probably saw my Facebook updates, but. One of the cool things being there was like Sydney's huge city, millions of people. Melbourne's millions of people, um, and you know I'm there by myself. I don't really know. I had some friends I met traveling, but the, then the good side is like you know you're kind of new and you can have all these opportunities. But the bad side is you're, you're like you don't know anybody, and you start to get the feeling pretty quick that you have to know people in big big cities to be able to have make things you know make things happen, create opportunities. It helps if you know somebody. And, right. you know, most cities you move to, like L.A., Chicago, New York, I mean, if you just move there, you're going to have a very, very, very hard time of, in, you know, getting involved and in, in becoming part of that community. Whereas you're right, Anchorage, you move here, and if you really want to get involved, and pretty pretty much anybody can come here and... Yeah, I think that's the best part. I really do think it's almost the best part about Anchorage. It is. It should be called the land of opportunity um, because there is a... You move here, and if you just have any bit of you know go-getting uh, spirit at all you can pretty much do what you want and move into whatever circles you want it's really open so with the assembly were, were did that something you decided you wanted to do or did people approach you or both oh or? no it was it was more my decision I mean, it's, uh, you know I, I thought about it a lot i matter of fact i was going to run years before that but the firm i was with didn't want me to uh, and i wasn't in a position to quit so i didn't do it um, and then Chris Birch was timing out. Um, you know, God bless Chris. Yeah, that's uh, such a horrible deal there. Yeah, huh? yeah. And so I decided, well, it was a good opportunity to, you know, if I'm going to do it, do it now. And so I just uh, put in. Didn't talk to anybody. Just kind of decided it myself and came out of my office one day and told the people I was working with, oh, by the way, I'm going to run for assembly. And that <laughs> was it. 
that's much different than I think most people are like t- thinking about it for a long time and, and uh, talking I don't, to folks. I don't think about much for a long time. Who huh? was the guy you beat? He's in the state chamber, right? Isn't he? This, uh, works for the state or maybe the Anchorage chamber. Oh, he worked um, uh, Pete Nolan. Pete Nolan, yeah. Yeah, there was three. There was Pete Nolan and Bruce Doherty, a real nice gentleman. Uh, all three of us ran. It was it was a good race. So you win the race. You're on the assembly. Um, I've been asked people before, so you going to run for city council or assembly? And I said, no way. And they kind of say, why? And I say, have you been to one of those fucking meetings? I mean, those like five, yeah. six hour meetings on a Tuesday. I mean, they're fucking horrible. Uh, you've sat, you've sat in through many, many of those, haven't you? Yeah. Well, three years worth. Um, yeah. I mean, they can be difficult and they can be time consuming and tedious. Um, there's some good ones, you know, actually the ones that were the issues are kind of contentious and, you know, people are a little more fired up about it or more interesting to, to take part in, I think. Um, AO 37, that was yeah, a long time ago, but that was when all oh, the people yeah. showed up. Hundreds of people were trying to... Yeah, I, w- I came in the wake of that. That was already done through the assembly, and uh, I missed all of that, so... That was, that was a lot. Yeah, that was a bit... The, the best part was the Valley people that came in. To... Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, for the previous... Do you uh, live here? Yeah, really. So well, in addition to the Tuesday meeting, I mean, there's all kinds of committee meetings that happen, too, as well, during the week, right? Oh, yeah, I think that's the part that people don't realize. I think the whole thing's Tuesday night. No, there's actually much more... Uh, time commitments involved in the Tuesday night. You not only have, uh, usually on Fridays and some other days, you have work sessions to get ready for the various uh, pieces that are going to be there on Tuesday. And that takes pretty much close to a whole day on Friday most of the time, at least a good part of it. And then you're kind of expected to go to community council meetings in your area. And most areas, assembly districts are big. Uh, They have multiple There's 38 councils, so I think any individual district is probably going to have 10 yeah, you know, ten councils. Yeah, some were less active, but yeah, I think it was nine or ten that were pretty active in my district that you were kind of expected to go to uh, at least. And you're only really getting paid twenty some thousand bucks, right? Oh, I don't. I actually, I don't know. It's something like that. It's 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 uh, the the hours uh, would be minimum wage. I think if you added up the hours, I, I kind of calculated it as working about thirty five hours a week on assembly stuff. It's probably uh, below minimum wage. It, yeah, I would think it would be. Yeah. It's, so your employer, they were cool. Like they were kind of. Well, I'm kind of my own boss. So for me, it was you know I I kind of dialed back my workload with some clients, didn't take some work I could have taken, uh, and it worked out. So because when you're a lawyer, pretty much your your money is like what you bill. You're billable, right? Yeah, I mean, basically, any time I was spending doing assembly stuff was time I wasn't spending uh, conceivably doing my own work. But you know, it's the choice I made, and I was fine with that. You even have your name on the uh, Cedar Evans. Winland Philippi, right? Yeah. Okay, that's the Bill Evans Winland. right there. That's, I'm the Evans of that uh, SWEF law firm. Yep. So how long have you been there for? Uh, it's just it's been 10 years now. Uh, in February, it was 10 years. So what was it when you started? Uh, it was Cedar, Wentland, and Wang originally when I started. And then there was a bit, a bit of a shakeup when I got on there, and uh, it's been Cedar, Wentland, Evans, and Philippi for the last 10 years. I've never understood, like, you know, these law firms, some are, like, new or some are very old. You know, my friend works at Holland and Knight. At what point do they just say, okay, fuck it, we're not going to change the name anymore? Like, even if somebody dies or quits, we're just keeping the name. If the firm is successful enough and long-lived enough, that happens because um, the name is just a real pain. Because we have got, we had, you know, a bunch of partners in my firm whose name is not or not on the uh, on the name of the firm, and that's a point of friction. Everybody wants to have their name up there, so... Because uh, like there's there's Atkinson Conway Ganya, my friend used to work there. Yeah, he was a partner, but he wasn't on the on the 
that pissed me off. I said, put, put my name on yeah, there. That's, <laughs> but and, then you got to change the Google and the website and oh, yeah, all the naming conventions. And it every- becomes too long. And, you know, the name, you can't, seven names and, and, <laughs> and the name is just kind of ridiculous. I, we even proposed for a while when we were dealing with that, just picking two names that weren't any of us. And I think it was Osborne Black. That's what I liked. And it was just going to that would be the name of our firm, and nobody will even know who these guys are. You guys should throw a landfield in there. Yeah, we could. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. If we get to that discussion again, well, I'll you, you could have. That. I'll give it to you. You can. Right. You can. Um, I will give you my name. Excellent. No problem. Uh, so, what, what are some of the big issues when you were on the assembly? I mean, the homelessness thing is still an issue, but that's always been an issue. And and we'll talk about that piece you wrote. Um, Anchorage is at a crossroads. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I was on the assembly, I actually started the homeless committee. I wrote the, the charter for it and got that going, and I was the chair of it for a while. So that was something I was really interested in because um, it, it, it is a fascinating topic, and it's it's very difficult. And it, the only thing I even really remotely like about government, I don't like politics necessarily, but I do like problem solving. And if you know, if you have the ability to do that, it's kind of exciting. Uh, and I thought that was a good one to talk about a very complex, multifaceted problem. The homelessness thing is oh, yeah. is that. Well, I did that video. I'm not sure if you saw the video we put together. Oh yeah, that but, was excellent. You know, it seems to me as somebody who kind of knew there was a problem, was aware of it. It's visibly bigger. I don't know if it's actually bigger, but visibly, it's definitely bigger. I mean, you got the the addiction component, you have the mental health component, you have the criminal component, you have the housing component, and you just you have the people just want to be out there component and it's like those are the five that i think create the problem and i don't know you you can solve one but you still have four more to deal with yeah and that's the thing i think the biggest mistake we make is when we talk about that problem as the homeless problem Uh, because like you said it's really a number of different problems and they all have different rationales for why they're on the streets uh so the uh, the approach you take to fixing it, it has to be different from all of them and we've not really done well at, at, at doing that. That's, first of all, it's expensive, and it's very difficult to convince people that that's what needs mm-hmm. to be done. So the piece you wrote, um, I saw it on your Facebook, and then I, I saw you what you wrote, and I said, hey, can, I, can we publish this? This is really uh, interesting, and I think people would want to read it. You basically talk about the problem in the city, the problems the city is facing, and you say there's two ways to really solve it. There's, I think you called it the substitutive approach. And the additive approach, right? Yeah, the subtractive or the additive. Subtractive, just, right. And basically, I'm just trying to avoid labels that, you know, tribal labels of liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, all those things. So I try to find different terms to describe these things. Um, but basically, you know, the subtractive approach is that, you know, the government spends too much as it is. Uh, all we need to do is to, you know, cut the waste, cut back on... Uh, on the budget, and we would have money to solve these other problems. Uh, and that's what I call the subtractive approach, because you're basically subtracting the money from the budget to solve problems. Um, and that's fine, and there's a lot of people that, you know, are, are behind that philosophy. Um, and the other approach is simply that, you know, you just need more money, um, you know, and that's the additive approach. You need a new stream of funding. You can't put it all on property taxes and expect to uh, be able to solve some of the problems and some of the, and not only just problems. I mean, everybody thinks about homeless when I say problems, but municipalities suffer from entropy. They decay. Um, you know, you, you leave a city by itself and no people in it for 30 years and it turns back into forest, basically. Um, and so there's a general process. If you don't completely keep investing in a uh, community, 
it will decay and get worse. Uh, and I don't think we're keeping up. And I think you have to put money into that in a various ways, and that money's got to come from somewhere. And in your article, you talk about the, the subtractive approach, reducing the budget. A, a, great num- a great percentage of the budget, uh, I think you said 80% is labor. Yeah, 80% of the municipal budget is labor costs, and uh, about 80% of that is public safety labor costs. Um, so if you're going to be serious that you're going to free up enough money in the budget uh, by cutting things or reducing the size of the budget, you have to realize that what you're talking about is cutting labor costs. And uh, I think there are some problems with that. One, it's damn near impossible to do. Um, you can take steps. You can't do it through collective bargaining. You're not going to be able to bargain away all of the things that you've given to people over the years. So just collective bargaining realistically doesn't work that way. I, I do it for a living. Uh, you're, you can get little givebacks here and there on things if there's a, a compelling need. But on, over, on the margins. Yeah, on the margins. And you can try to hold costs as best you can. But the reality is you're not going to get any massive savings through the bargaining process. So the only way you can really get that kind of savings is if you eliminated collective bargaining. And that would precipitate a, a really wild, talk about loose, uh, Very war with, oh, yeah. with labor unions and, and their supporters, uh, which would pretty much immobilize anything else you wanted is, is, to do for is, years. Is the city, so that you know, public union exists, police union, fire union, other unions, um, is the city compelled or mandated to engage in collective bargaining, or they just do that as a means to work with the unions and determine pay and benefits and these things? No. The class 1 cities can decide for themselves if they want to What's have, class 1? Uh, it's the, the big type cities, and, and the way the states organize, or I think it's class 1. I could be wrong about that terminology, but the bigger cities can opt out if they're an actual municipality from having collective bargaining. It's Who would decide, choice. the assembly or the mayor? Or? Uh, I think the I think if the process would be the assembly, I think this mayor would have to sign off on it like any other. It would be a change in the law. So we can just throw that one out the window. That's not going to happen. I don't think so. I don't think realistic. And plus, I don't even think it's a good idea. I mean, even if you could do it, I think the idea of simply reducing the salaries and benefits of your public sector workers, who are, after all, your citizens, in order to improve the city is just kind of, it's, you know, it's ironic anyway. Um, I think you have to find ways to improve the city uh, without making teachers and police officers and firemen and all those people pay for it. And I'm not saying that they, you know, they don't make a lot of money or they may, even their pay scales may be higher than other comparable cities. I don't know all the the statistics on that, but I know that making them worse off is not the way to start making the city better off. So the other approach you talk about is the additive approach in, in your example, sales tax. Yeah, I, 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 I like the idea of a sales tax. When I was on the assembly, I actually got a group of experts together and wrote a sales tax and introduced it. It didn't go anywhere. Um, and, but that one I wrote was going to reduce property taxes. It was going to be inside the, the tax cap, so it would just replace property taxes. To offset. Offset them, exactly, dollar for dollar. Um, but now I'm thinking that really what's needed is actually added funds so you can combat some of these problems and actually start building things and make Anchorage a more livable city. And I think uh, a tax cap, uh, sales tax that is outside of the tax cap it's not restrained by the tax cap. It doesn't offset property taxes. Is really the way to go. So we hear about this tax cap a lot, and it's been around since the seventies. I guess Don Smith always talks about father of the tax cap. That's his his thing. Yes. What, what does that mean? I mean, we can only raise so much t- tax revenue. 
um, before you have to stop. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, there's basically a formula that allows for some growth depending on the new business, new property in the city or new businesses, plus population growth, plus uh, factoring in uh, inflation, uh, standard inflation. So the the tech, the the amount grows each year, and, sh- and theoretically should be enough uh, to grow as the city grows and and you know uh, can meet all your needs. Um, and I think, you know, tax caps in general are a good thing. I think, you know, without some kind of constraints, politicians do have the uh, the inclination to kind of run wild with money sometimes. So I can definitely see the reason why there's a tax cap. And I'm not even – I'm not in, f- in favor of getting rid of the tax cap. I think still as it applies to property taxes, I think it's a good idea. So in your example of the sales tax – is that we that would be outside of the tax cap? Yeah, we can. We've you know we like the marijuana tax was one that was created outside the tax cap uh, for a, a period of time, I believe. Uh, memory serves me; it starts to all fog together <laughs> now. But I believe we had a period of time where it was outside the tax cap because we didn't know exactly what the uh, amount of revenue was going to be, and there's going to be all kind of startup costs, administrative costs. So. Um, we did it that way. So you can create taxes, new taxes, and put them outside of the cap by legislation, by by law. Um, it's just that you have to have the people support it, and you know that's a that's heavy a, that lift. It takes a vote, right? Yeah, technically, it's supposed to be for any kind of added tax like that. Any kind of sales tax would require a sixty percent vote of the population. Now they've you know clever politicians for a while now have, have you know since the Denina center was built anyway have come up with a workaround that allows you to get around these 60% numbers by actually having two votes and voting on getting rid of the 60% thing at the same time voting on the actual underlying tax yeah i, have, I remember that yeah yeah so there's ways you can do that I, i'm not a big fan of gimmicks like that but uh I think it would be much better if you can actually get 60% of the people to realize this is what the city needs. So another point you make is uh, if it did have a sales tax, we'd capture revenue from visitors and then from people from the Valley or other parts of Alaska who come to Anchorage. Yeah, right now, I mean, it's you know it's great not to have a sales tax, but we do lose all those people that come through the city, use services, do other things that we could actually be making some money and helping the city out. And plus, we do have a lot of you know commuter workers that don't live in Anchorage, a growing number of them, actually, that live out in the valley and other places, uh, mostly the valley, um, that would have to, at least if they buy things in town, contribute. Um, they could still work in town and not buy things, and you know, but there's sales taxes out in the valley, and actually, yeah. you know, one of the arguments against the sales tax is because a lot of people come to Anchorage to buy things because there's no sales tax. So you know, a lot of retailers and others would uh, are a little skeptical of a. Imposing a sales yeah, tax. You know, sp- speaking of you know money and to solve problems, I, I had a friend recently who was um, in Buffalo, New York, which is similar population of Anchorage, mm-hmm. and she's a legislator, and, and she kind of was looking around and spent time there, and she's like, "Where are the homeless people? You know, like where where are the homeless people?" And she said, "Okay, well, they must be somewhere. I mean, they must have maybe an area they they go." And she was just kind of perplexed about this total lack of home, visible homeless. So she spent time looking around, asked some local people, and really couldn't find anything. And I guess she had some people look into it. And, and what, what she found out was, and I'm going to do some more research on this myself, and I might even try to raise some cash and you know, go there and try to look at what they did. But it sounds like they had a, a large grant from the city of New York, $25 million for housing. And they got people into housing, and there's just there's not a really big homeless 
And it's also a cold city, winter city. Yeah, you know, and if you've been, I've been to snow. Buffalo. That's not a place you want to be homeless. So, so it's kind of like Anchorage, you know. I mean, summertime's yeah, okay. It's yeah. But wintertime, very, very, very hard. So yeah. uh, I'm thinking about doing some more research. And, but it, it seems like in that case, the solution was money, spend money to help some of these folks get into housing. And, you know, I, I, I'm not one to think we should just give somebody something for making bad choices, but helping people and getting them on the right, right path. And it's hard, you know, if you're – I was here. I was very young, and in Alaska, I had times where I struggled. I didn't have any money, and you know, it's it's not easy just to say I'm I'm going to pull myself up from my bootstraps. I'm going to I'm, I'm in debt. I I have no money. I need to get. A, I have no car. You know, it's it's not not so easy to just kind of like start. Boom! I'm I'm going to go. Here I go. Yeah, and I think it goes back to that what we we're talking about before that there are you know the homeless is not one monolithic group. It's a number of different kind of people with a number of different kind of problems. And there are some of them, people, you know, that have mental illness and things mm-hmm. like that, that, you know, we, we should have compassion for and we should be uh, trying to look out for. I think it's the, the right thing to do. And I think most everybody agrees that, you know, people that are ill, we should be taking care of them. Um, we don't even have the resources for that right now. No, we have terrible. We, we, API is not fully. We have terrible mental health resources. We have terrible uh, substance abuse resources. Uh, we have expensive housing. We have all the ingredients to make a real big homeless problem, yeah. and that's what we see. Um, and, yeah, it, the fact of the matter is you're going to have to spend money um, uh, on those type of resources. Uh, but no, you know, any city worth living in spends money. Uh, they don't come for free. It's not just some kind of, you know, wild manifestation of the, you know, the, the invisible hand of economics that cities just thrive on their own. Adam you, Smith. Yeah, it's Adam Smith's, you know, invisible hand kind of theory. It doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't work completely like that. Cities have to invest in certain resources that make life livable for their citizens. And some of them are things like mental health services and substance abuse treatment, things that get people who are falling off uh, back on the straight and narrow. And then you have to crack down. I mean, some people need a hand up and some people need a kick in the ass, to be honest with yeah. you. Uh, and you have to well, be able to divide we, that. We did the video we made. You know, we found out through a lot of those camps we visited. I mean, there's stolen bikes everywhere. I mean, there's definitely a criminal element happening. The police told us, um, Lieutenant uh, Carson, you know, well, we can't just take somebody. We have to prove it's stolen if it was reported stolen. And I kind of said, I understand that, but, but it's like hundreds of tires and bike parts in a, in a chop shop where they're I mean, it's clearly they're, they're, they're not, like, yeah, it's, finding these bikes everywhere and just, oh, look, a bike. It's in the garbage. And that's even having some additional assets. One of the problems with camps we learned when I was on the assembly was you can't just take down the camps when you come across them uh, because of property rights. Basically, anything over a certain value, they have to be given warning that, you know. And so we leave those camps. We notice those camps, and we leave them up there and say it's got to be gone in whatever amount of time. Um, if you had a facility where you could actually store it, and hold it uh, until it gets disposed of. Uh, you could take the camps down immediately, which would make a big difference. Uh, but you need to have that kind of facility. It's got to be a big warehouse because most of that stuff is almost toxic, is toxic. Uh, so you need the facilities to do that. And if you had some money to invest in that kind of thing, you could make a big dent what, what, in what that about, kind of problem. I know there's, I guess, liabilities associated with, with doing this, but what about just a, a big area somewhere where this is, if you're going to be homeless and, and sleep in a tent, okay, you have to go here. Yeah, And I guess the question is, well, if the city pr- provides a space or a place for that to happen and some, somebody kills somebody, or some, I guess maybe there's a liability there. But that seems to be the most practical 
way of, of and you can police it. You can you can make sure people are acting if they're breaking the rules or the law. They go to jail. I mean, has people thought, talked about that? Oh, yeah, I, I, Zach I, Fields did. Yeah, I've heard definitely a lot of people have <laughs> the talked. Chug, the, yeah. Chug, the Chuga Hatch Park. Yeah, exactly. I've heard uh, I've heard it talked about a lot, and I mean, there, I think there's some merit to looking into it. I think the liability problem is one of the reasons it it doesn't get uh, a lot of attention because once, like you said, the city sets it up, the city becomes responsible for it. So you have to kind of maintain it. You have to, you know, people get hurt in it. And if you're requiring to be there, you know, what is uh, the city's liability? But those are issues that can be explored and and looked at. And uh, I think there are a lot of people that kind of support that kind of notion that think that's a, you know, a good way to do it. So what's your current outlook for Anchorage, 10-year outlook? What do you? It depends. Like I said in the, the piece that you put in the landmine, it's like, uh, I think we're at a crossroads. I think, you know, either we're going to have to decide, because this whole battle between the subtractive and the additive groups, you know, the people that want to cut the budget and the people that want to raise taxes, is just stalls everything. And so I don't care really which group takes, you know, predominance. I have my preference. But if you're on the subtractive side and you want to cut the budget in, in order to raise money for these things, then you need to be getting on doing it because as we drift along things, and I think most Anchorageites realize this, the city tends to be getting worse. Um, it's hard to pinpoint exactly, but I think most of us have a sense, whether it's the rising crime rates, and a lot of this is the opioid, opioid crisis and other things and, and the increase in homelessness, but things seem to be deteriorating, and I think that yes, will continue. It's not, it's not the city I moved to in 2004. No, or me in 90, 1998, but... Um, uh, so I think we are at a crossroads where we're either going to have to decide that we are going to actually take a, have government take an affirmative role in, in improving the city uh, and thereby putting the money up to do some of that, or we're going to let it drift and we're going to see what that becomes. Am I talking to a potential 2021 mayoral candidate? Uh, no, I don't <laughs> think so. Um, I, I, everybody asks that every time you write something. You know, you're saying the right. You're saying the right things. You know. You're, yeah, yeah, I say the right. I, I try to say the right things. Um, no, I, I, I think yeah, my gig is better than the mayor's gig right now. So I mean, I, I would like to see someone run who, yeah, obviously believes sort of the same things I do. But I think there are plenty of people out there that are probably be interested in doing that. If you were mayor right now, doing the podcast, there'd be two or three people in the room watching you. I think. Yeah, usually a, how that works. That's another reason not to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like to no be filter. kind of private. Yeah, I like well, to be able to say whatever I want to say. Well, I appreciate that, Bill. I hope you can write some more stuff for the landmine down the road. Uh, people really like your. It was very, very engaging. A lot of comments, a lot of shares, a lot of debate from folks back and forth. I'm sure you saw some of that. Oh yeah, I, uh, that is fun. That's the whole reason I put that out there. Ever since I got off the assembly, I use Facebook now and then just to have an audience of somebody to listen to me because nobody listens to me in my little office. So <laughs> I'll throw things out there like that I've been thinking about, and it's kind of fun just to get the conversation started. Well, you also um, provide very witty commentary and banter on your Facebook sometimes, which I, I enjoy. I try. You're good at that. Well, Bill, we'll do this again, and uh, you know, keep us updated on your on your opinions. We, uh, we like hearing them. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. All right, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast with me down the road, let me know. We'll talk to you next time. Landline.